For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Steve Andrews entitled, Seek Ye the Lord. Mr. Andrews. The title of my message is taken from Isaiah 55, verse 6, and it reads this way, Seek you the Lord while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven returns not there, but waters the earth, makes it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of the mouth. And it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. This message in Isaiah 55, 6 through 11, would be a good springboard for how to seek the Lord through those vehicles such as prayer, Bible study, meditation, fasting, all of those areas in which God has provided through His Word for us to understand how to seek Him out. But today I would like to answer the question, why should we seek the Lord? Why should we want to find Him? And why should we want to be close to Him? I have five points today. I could have tried to come up with seven, but they just didn't, just didn't come and probably would have had uh, too long of a message anyway if I'd have had that many. But one of the first ones is what we've all been kind of mulling over and we heard last week and, and today um, Curtis gave us uh, another very profound part of that, that there is darkness spreading throughout this world, not just the United States, but throughout the world. And we know who it is that's making that darkness. He is the prince of the power of the air. And you've heard the message, and you've heard the scriptures, and you know who that is, and, and how he uses those things to bring darkness upon the earth. And just like was brought out one small candle, that light from Christ can bring uh, that darkness to an end. And yet, we live in a world where that darkness is spreading and it's getting more and more difficult to bring that light to the world. When I was in high school, in 1965, I was a junior finishing up. And it was April 3rd, 1965. There was a broadcast, and I don't think I heard it. Uh, I wasn't paying much attention to Paul Harvey back then, but as I got older, I, I did. I used to listen to him all, every, every, um, every day on the radio at noon and uh, really appreciated some of the things he had 
to bring out and some of the wisdom that he would bring. 1965 was a very interesting year. Um, Lyndon Johnson was the president. The war in Vietnam was ongoing. We were testing nuclear weapons both underground and, and above ground, and the Russians were also. Cassius Clay was decided he wanted to become Muhammad Ali, and so he converted. Many other things were happening in the world. And I guess Paul Harvey decided that he would make this broadcast if I were a devil. Now, I don't know whether anyone read it because I missed out on Barnabas's last part of his last message, but even if you've heard it before, I want to bring it out again today because it's so profound in the words that he writes here. In the world that we live in today, is he was writing it because he saw it then. But frankly, the words that he wrote and, and, and spoke are far more profound for today than they were back then. If I were the devil, I mean if I were the prince of darkness, I would of course want to engulf the whole earth in darkness. I would have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I would not be happy until I have, had seized the ripest apple of the tree. So I should set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I would begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper, the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what is bad is good, and what is good is square. In the eyes of the young marrieds, I would whisper that work is debasing, that cocktail parties are good for you. I would caution them not to be extreme in religion, in patriotism, in moral conduct. And the old, I would teach to pray. I would teach them to say, after me, our Father, which art in Washington. If I were the devil, I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. And then, if I were the devil, I'd get organized. I'd infiltrate unions and urge more loafing, less work, because idle hands usually work for me. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction, and I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions. Let those run wild. I would designate an atheist to front for me before the highest courts in the land, and I would get preachers to say, she's right. With flattery and promise of power, I would get the courts to rule what I construe as against God and in favor of pornography, and thus I would evict God from the courthouse and from the schoolhouse and then from the houses of Congress, and then in his own churches, 
I would substitute psychology for religion and I would defy science because that, <clears throat> that way men would become smart enough to create super weapons but not wise enough to control them. If I were Satan, by the way, Paul Harvey didn't understand because Satan had already perverted these symbols, the symbol of Easter for the egg, the symbol of Christmas, a bottle. Now, he had already perverted those days because he covered up the holy days of God, but he didn't understand. I were the devil, I would take from those who have, and I would give to those who wanted, until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And then my police state would force everybody back to work. Then I could separate families, putting children in uniform, women in coal mines, and objectors in slave camps. In other words, if I were Satan, I'd just keep on doing what he's doing. And, of course, Paul Harvey always finishes, Paul Harvey, good day. Um, that's pretty profound. Even to read it again, I'd read it a couple of times, and it still gets to me because the, the, the society that we live in is filled with these kind of things and the darkness that we have. And so we understand that darkness is spreading, and we need to understand to seek the Lord because of that. Part two. We are but created beings. Our life is very fragile. Let's turn to Isaiah, the 42nd chapter. As we begin to, to look at more things here, that we need to seek out the Lord. Thus says God, the Lord, He that created the heavens, stretched them out. He that spread forth the earth. This is Isaiah 42, verse 5. And that which comes out of it, he that gives bread unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. He says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand, and I will keep you, and I will give you a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. The point is, we are created. He created us. He created the world that we live on. He created the breath that we breathe. And he gave us the spirit to think. In Revelation 4, verse 11, we understand that he created the worlds for his pleasure, for his purpose. I won't turn to that one. But Isaiah 40, let's stay here right in Isaiah. Let's turn to Isaiah 40. We understand something about our own um, mortality. So we see here in verse 6, he said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? He says, all flesh is grass, and all goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord blows upon it, and surely the people is grass. The grass withers, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God stands forever. How true those words are, brethren. You know, we, we, are, we are very mortal. We, we have a very finite time upon this earth. In 1 Peter, Peter also takes and quotes the same, these same verses. 
But I want to read his, his quotes in 1 Peter, the, the uh, first chapter, verses 24 and 25 here. He says, For all, all flesh is grass, is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower thereof falls away. But the, the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached. Now it's important to understand that part of that gospel is to help people to understand that we are mortal and that we have a finite life span. In Second Peter, while we're still here in this area, beginning in the third verse, in, 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 the, yeah, in the third chapter, verses 8 and 9, It says, but Beloved, be not ignorant, brethren, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. He says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's interesting, I, uh, I took the time one time to and to calculate, I don't know how good my calculations are. I was never very good at math. But if you take this particular scripture here, one day, a thousand years with God as a, as a day, that means we have about 10 minutes with God in our lifespan. There's 70 years. You know, maybe some will live longer than that, but still, even at the, the longest that people live today, even at a hundred and some years, that's not very long with God. That's why it's so important that we seek Him, because we're going to die. While we have that chance, while our life and our minds and our hearts are, you know, are able to think and able to form understanding and able to come before God, this is the thing we need to be doing. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Because it might come a time in our life through sickness, through illness. And of course, when death comes, there is no seeking of God. We stay in that grave until we are resurrected. We understand that. God has a time frame. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And he's not slack concerning that promise. And he's not slack concerning when those things are going to come about. And he knows what's going on on this earth. And he knows the things that are happening. So we don't need to be concerned that God has turned his back on this world because he hasn't. He, he knows what he is doing. Part three is something that all of us have a problem with, and that's in Romans, the, the third chapter. Since the time of the sin in the Garden of Eden... All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what it says in Romans, the third chapter, verse 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There was only one exception that ever walked this earth without sin. We understand that that was Jesus Christ. God looks at us on an individual basis. He looks at us through his righteous eyes. 
And He sees us as we walk this earth and the things that we do. And when He saw Israel, He saw some things that were not pleasing. He loved Israel. That was, He had separated them. He wanted them to shine like no nation had ever shined before throughout all the world. And yet, they were so full of sin and problems. And they were an embarrassment to God. And in Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, he writes about sin, repentance, turning from those sinful things. And I think it's very important for us to understand God's perspective on this, on righteousness and wickedness. And there's a lot in the Bible, and I, I tried to find a place to sum it up. And right here, I think, is the best place to sum it up. He says in verse 21, If the wicked will turn from his sins that he has committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that he has committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. And his righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord, says the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? But when the righteous, now see, this is important for us to understand. We live in a very perverted world. We are faced with all kinds of enemies on all sides, and especially the devil hates us because we have this book, and we have, we have the knowledge about him, and we have the knowledge about God, and we have the knowledge about his holy days, and we have all of the, the righteous knowledge. But we also have our human nature, and we also have our sinfulness that can turn against us and cause us to do something that God would be very displeased with us. He says, but when the righteous turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live. All his righteousness that he has done shall not be mentioned in the trespass that he has trespassed and in the, his sin that he has sinned, in them he shall die. And we understand, you know, we understand the New Testament. We understand the um, reconciliation and all the things that go about. But if a person turns from what he understands from this word and goes back into the world and sins the sin of a wicked person, he will die. And he may die in the second death. These are warnings from God that he has written for us as well as for his nation of Israel. That we heed them and understand them because we have enemies in this world. Some of them are very unseen enemies. Yeah, you say the way of the Lord is not equal. Okay, well, you know. Here now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and dies in them for his iniquity that he has done, shall he die? Again, when the wicked man turns from his wickedness, that he is committed and does that which is lawful and right, and he shall save his soul. Because he considers and turns away from his transgression that he has committed, he shall surely live. 
and shall not die. It says the house of Israel, and they like to argue with God, and they like to murmur against God. The way of the Lord is not equal, O house of Israel. Are not my ways equal? Are, your, are not your ways unequal? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, said the Lord God. Repent. Remember, that's what Jesus said. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn yourselves from your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit, for why will you die, O house of Israel? I mean, that's, that's New Testament, isn't it? We understand that. The new man, the new heart turning away from the world and the things in this world that we not die. For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, says the Lord God, wherefore turn yourselves and live. He has equal opportunity for all men, sinner and righteous alike, that they repent and they, they, they grow in the grace and the knowledge of their Savior Jesus Christ, and that they turn from those sins. One of the things that we understand about God is eventually He will judge. We know there's a day coming. We don't know when that day is. We won't make any judgments on that, that time frame. It's been done many, many times with a lot of embarrassment and uh, you know false prophets in the Bible are, are, are uh, not looked upon with very much um, kindness by God. But in Revelation, the 14th chapter, we know that judgment's going to come upon this earth. We know that someday that, these, that all of men are going to be judged and the whole world is going to be judged. In verses 6 and 7, I've read this one before, I saw an angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. Worship Him that made heaven and earth, and the seas, and the fountains of the waters. It is important to understand that that day of judgment, when it comes upon this earth, will be a day of, of darkness for sinners. And for those who are wicked, because God will judge. In, in Revelation, the 16th chapter, verses 1 uh, to the end of the chapter, I want to set this scenario because it's important to understand what's going on in the earth at the end. How wicked the earth will become at the end. And if we do survive, we will be praying and asking God to be with us, to take care of our families, to put protection around us. You know, if we have to live through that. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, or out of uh, the temple, saying to the seven angels, Go your ways, and pour out the vials of wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon men, which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as blood of a dead man. 
and every living soul died in the, in the sea. And the, third of the angel, and the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of the waters, and they became blood. And I heard of the angel of the waters say, You're righteous, O Lord, which art and was and shall be, because you have judged thus. I mean, there's, time, there's going to come a time of great judgment upon this earth, and this earth is going to moan and groan. And men are going to be in great travail because of the, of the, of the judgment of God. For they have shed blood, the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. True and righteous are your judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the earth, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which has power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness and gnawed their tongues before pain. And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they repented not of their deeds. There's going to come a time... And when these vile, this, all of this is going to come up on the earth, they're going to blame God. They're going to hate God. They're going to, they're going to want to war against God. They're going to blaspheme God. Because Satan has so perverted their minds. We hope that that's not going to happen to us, that we won't be a part of that. But their minds will be so perverted, and they'll, they will not repent. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the, saint, uh, uh, the spirits of, of devils, working miracles, which go forth into the kings of the earth, and of the whole world to gather them to battle in that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches, keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. Remember that one that came in and wasn't wearing the right garment, went into outer darkness. And Jesus, you know, he was cast out. And he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial in the air, and there was great noise, a great voice out of the temple of the heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was great earthquake, such as was not since the men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake is so great. And a great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So that Babylon, which really represents Satan's very kingdom, very seat, God is going to pour out his great wrath upon that because of its, its ugliness, its, its um, perversion, its filthiness. And we don't want to be a part of it. Every island fled away. The mountains were not found, and there fell upon men great hail out of the heaven, every stone about the weight of the talent, and men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was great, exceedingly great. And we know that 
Christ will return in power. Revelation, the 19th chapter. I saw heaven open, I saw heaven open verse 11. Called a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. Righteousness, he does judge and make war. You know, see, there's going to come a time when there's so much evil, and there's so much perversion, and the, the, and the understanding of things are, are so perverted that God is going to have to come back and fight and kill and destroy so that he can bring peace to this land before all of mankind is destroyed. Jesus said if, if he didn't intervene, all of men would be, die, would be dead. And this, this would be a wasteland. There would be nothing left. His eyes were flame of fire, and his head were many crowns, and he had the name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now the mouth goes, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treads down the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he said, I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together into the supper of the great God. There's going to be so much death and destruction. God is going to call the fowls to come and feast up you know, the, the, the carrion birds, the, the vultures, the crows, and all of the different birds to, that, that feed upon flesh to come and feed upon those, those dead people. That they might eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses, and then to sit on them and the flesh of all the men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat upon the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken with him, false prophet, that wrought miracles before him, which were <clears throat> with which he deceived them, that had received the mark of the beast. And them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of the mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. One more here. This great judgment that will come upon this earth because men will not seek the Lord. In fact, they will blaspheme God. They will not turn to God. In Revelation, the 20th chapter, verses 11 through 15, we see a final judgment. Men will be judged. Men will come before God and be judged. He said, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. There will be a judgment of all man. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to his works. Death and the hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. 
you know, I could, live, I could stop right there, and we would know that we should have fear for ourselves and, and need to, to turn to God and, and because of all the things, that uh, the wickedness of the world and stuff. You know, the Bible is full with wonders for us who have turned to God, who have seeked His righteousness, who follow His way. It's a great reward that stands in front of us, brethren. It is something that the whole world should seek after, but they desire not these rewards because they don't want to follow God. They don't want to seek the Lord while He may be found. But there are some truly wonderful rewards out there for those of us who are reaching out to God, seeking His guidance and, and, and His... Um, a direction in our lives. In First Peter, the second chapter, we'll go back to Peter here as we see some of these wonderful things that God has set before us for those of us who are following His way, keeping His laws and commandments, doing those things, that, and sometimes it's really hard, isn't it? It's hard to do this, and you know that it's difficult sometimes to live the life that God has set before us, but the rewards are so great. The rewards for being his children are so great. He says in chapter 2, and in verse, uh, and I think it's First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, he says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Sometimes we don't feel like royalty, do we? <laughs> A holy nation. Can each of us take those on personally? Chosen, royal, holy, peculiar. You know, that means set apart, special. That should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. What we heard in the first message. He's called us out of that darkness into that marvelous light. We see things, don't we? We see things that the rest of the world doesn't see. He says, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. When we sin, we can repent, can't we? We can turn back to God. We can seek His face. He's as close as... Father, forgive me, for I have sinned and I have disappointed you in my life. That's a wonderful thing that we can do. It's so wonderful that we probably don't understand all of the implications of the God who has created all the things that we see and the breath that we breathe and the spirit that dwells within us. We don't understand all the potential that is there. There's waiting for us crowns, beautiful crowns. Second Timothy, and these are all found in the New Testament, so it's not, you don't have to turn very far to find where are these wonderful crowns that God has inspired these writers to write about. He has inspired them to put these down in the Bible. I hope I can find it. I think, oh, I'm in the wrong way. <laughs> Always getting. I think it's the first Timothy. It's 
I had 2 Timothy 2 verse 8. I think it's 1 Timothy 2 verse 8. Well, anyway, I've, uh, I think I've missed a place that one, and I apologize. It's the uh, crown of righteousness, Lawrence. Which one is that one? Uh, where did I miss that one? Three, verse eight. Yeah. Which one is it? Four eight. Four eight. Thank you. <laughs> You were all there, four verse eight. I had it written down wrong, and I apologize for that. And my notes. Is that it, Dean? Second Timothy. Ah, boy, I'm lost today. I. I and <laughs> there we go. You already read it, but I'm going to read it again because it's so beautiful. He says, I fought a good fight. The verse that's not up there. I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept to the faith. That's what we want to do. We want to fight the good fight. We want to, we want to overcome all of the obstacles, the enemy that's out there, Satan, devil. And he, says, I, and he says, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me, at, the, at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love is appearing. There's a crown of righteousness awaiting each and every winner. Every winner. You know, in this race, there's going to be multiple winners. Not just one winner. There's going to be millions and millions of winners. God set forth that there's going to be a full house in His kingdom. A full house. He wants everyone in that kingdom. Like he says, he delays that you might repent, that we might change, that the world might change. One of these days he's going to have to come back and, and uh, you know, and, and bring the kingdom to this earth because men are not going to change, but he's not slack. James 1, verse 12. I think I got this one right. Blessed is that man that endures temptation, for when he has tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. So there is also another crown that's called the crown of life. These crowns are beautiful crowns. They are eternal crowns. They do not tarnish. They do not part, uh, pass away. They aren't taken away from you. They are not usurped by somebody, by some other king. And the last one is First Peter. I hope I got this one right. <laughs> of the fifth chapter, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, shall appear, he says, you shall. I love the word, you shall. You know, you shall. That means it's positive. Absolutely written down in stone. You shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. A crown of glory that doesn't fade. There is a time coming. Great tribulation will come upon this earth. Many things will happen 
upon this earth. But there's great glory that also will come to each and every one of us. As there is a time that's called the resurrection. In 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, so many of we're all familiar with this, but I want to read this as, as we finish up this message in seeking the Lord while he may be found. He said in verse 13, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. In other words, the atheists that have no hope, the evolutionists that think we come from, you know, pond sky, uh, scum, and all of the other people who are beginning to, to hate the Word of God because it gives us so much hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he says, Wherefore, comfort you one another with these words. We are to, to express to one another how wonderful it is to look forward to that day when our relatives and our, those who have passed that we've known who will be resurrected in the kingdom of God. Some will be, I hope, like us. will receive those crowns and will be ruling upon the earth. Others who will come up in that second resurrection will also come into God's kingdom, will also be there. But they will have to accept Jesus Christ. They will have to accept the rule of law and righteousness. They will have to be obedient to God and keep His feasts and His holy days. And of course, I couldn't pass up 1 Corinthians 15. I could have, but I, I still, you know, I love this, these things because they're so, they are so comforting to understand that God has a plan, has a purpose for each and every person. He is not leaving anyone out. And, and if, as it said in Ezekiel, if the wicked would repent, they will live. If they will repent, they will live. They will not die. They won't die the second death. And essentially, that's what Ezekiel was talking about. That when they come up in the kingdom of God, they're going to have to repent of all of their sins and they're going to have to live righteously and then they will live. He says uh, in verse 40, 51, actually in verse 50, as I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. So there's a, there definitely is a dividing line from the heavenly kingdom that we're going to be in versus our physical existence that we have today. God calls us a peculiar people. He, he, he calls us His children. We are the children of God, but it is not yet manifest what we will be like. It is not yet manifest what kind of glorious body that we will have. It is not yet manifest what position you and I will have in the kingdom of God. All of those things God has set aside, and He will do that 
to each and every one of us when that time comes. He says, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For, the corrupt, for this corruption must put on incorruption. There's a, there's a transition. There's a, there are metamorphoses. We've got to come get rid of the physical body and put on this immortal, perfect body. This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where's your sting? O grave, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast. The words that are at the end of this, of this chapter 15 are so applicable to this, this end time, this dark age in which there are so many enemies. He says, My beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Brethren, it's time, always time, that we seek the Lord in our lives. There may be a time in this world, when people will not be able to find him because the darkness will have spread to the point where no one, you know, there will be a famine of the word, a famine of the hearing of things, and a famine that will come upon this world, and they'll not be able to, to seek it, and they'll have to wait till that angel. Maybe there'll be so it'll be to the point where there will not be any way of getting it out except maybe uh, like the Lollards did, but you know, handing the, the, the truth from one person to the next. But that day, might come, and then the, then the kingdom will come to this earth, because when that darkness comes, God will intervene. But, right now, we have the opportunity to seek the Lord, to get close to Him, even with the enemies of darkness that are out there, because Jesus Christ, God the Father, are the true light in this dark world.